Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, your ophthalmology OCAPS and board view podcast. We're, I'm your host, Ben Young, and for our guest host, you can introduce yourself. I don't want to introduce you. Hi, everyone. I'm back. This is Faye Kai, and I'm not an ophthalmologist. Yay. So, uh, again, just uh, if you didn't listen to our last episode, and I would because this is a continuation of that, um, Andrew is out doing things important overseas and amanda's out on maternity leave so we're bringing back my fiance faye who is going to be our co-host today she's also the co-host of career eggs for coffee which is an awesome ob guy review podcast um so if you are studying for ob for some reason check it out super relevant to you guys you know, in some ways, it really isn't at all. So don't listen to. But if you're like going through your own pregnancy, I don't know. There might be some episodes that are valuable to you. What do you think? Yeah, I would say so. Should we use your episode as like medical advice? Can no, do please that? don't. Are you going to be everyone's doctor who no. downloads? <laughs> Nor should this be your uh, medical advice for your eyes. Keep yes. that in mind. So to review, last week we talked about retinopathy prematurity, and we talked about how to stage it and diagnose it and the pathophysiology thereof. We did not talk at all about treatment. So this week we're going to talk about treatment of ROP. So before we talk about treatment of ROP, Ben, I think we should first talk about how do we um, find those infants that have ROP? So how do we screen them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. So there's slight variations around the world, but in the United States, what we typically say is if an infant is born under 1,500 grams, how many how many pounds is that? Do you know? Probably like three and a half pounds. Is that what you? Is that what like y'all? Like when you deliver babies, you report in grams or pounds? We report in uh, pounds to the parents and grams in our documentation. Oh, okay, okay, cool. <laughs> so 1,500 is really small, right? It's quite small. It's, it's uh, yeah, a little bit less than three and a half pounds. Yeah. So uh, what's like an average thing that weighs three and a half pounds? A melon? What kind of melon? Like a watermelon? Yeah, a watermelon's I'd, bigger, man. Oh, a watermelon's larger. What's like an average thing that weighs... A three and a half pound dumbbell. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. So if the infant is less than a 1,500 grams or a three and a half pound dumbbell or was born at 30 weeks or less, then they should have screening as well as if they're a bit higher than either of these 1,500 grams or 30 weeks, but they had a particularly unstable NICU course, then the neonatal specialist may suggest to do ROP screening anyways. The first screening should happen either when the baby is between 31 to 33 weeks of age or four weeks after birth, whichever comes first. Um, So I know on our podcast, Ben, we like to talk about evidence-based medicine and if there have been trials that have done to look at um, certain uh, disease processes, what what has been done in ophthalmology to look at ROP? Yeah, so there there have been, you know, many great studies out there, but the main landmark ones that every resident should know are cryo ROP and early treatment of ROP, we'll call it ET ROP. And then we'll touch on one more called BEAT ROP, which is definitely very relevant as ROP treatment proves. So first we'll talk about cryo ROP. As you can guess, it looked at when you should do cryo or cryotherapy for ROP. So this was like the first major trial into treatment, into active surgical therapy for ROP, besides a few earlier ones that looked at things like oxygenation therapy. 
it defined the quote threshold disease, which is the which means threshold to treat. But this is something that we just need to memorize. That threshold is stage three ROP in zone one or two. Then we go back to our last puts of review, but that's centered around the disc. So zone one is basically a macula's width around the optic disc, and zone two is basically a the radius is from the disc to the nasal aura. So having that and either five contiguous clock hours of plus disease or plus disease is for venous and arterial dilation with tortuosity. So either five contiguous clock hours or eight discontiguous, like eight total clock hours of plus disease. So if the patient had both of those, then then they need to be treated. So why were they using cryo and why were they treating at this point? What were they trying to prevent? Right. So the point was to prevent retinal folds or retinal attachments, which is the unfavorable outcome that can lead that can really lead to long-term uh, visual impairment in these children. And so essentially, if someone's stage three, then they don't yet have any retinal attachment. Because remember, stage four is a partial retinal attachment. Stage five is a total retinal attachment. So is this still being practiced today? Not done. In, it's yeah. It's this isn't really used anymore because of the results of the next treatment that we're going to talk about with the ETROP study. And the reason for that is because one cryotherapy is somewhat problematic. It, now, don't get me wrong. This treatment worked. It reduced the rate of retinal folds or detachments by about fifty percent. However. Cryo requires general anesthesia for the infant, which is obviously dangerous in kids with rocky NICU courses or just anyone in the NICU. It increased the risk of regmatogenous retinal attachments later in life because you're thinning out the retina. And they can ultimately get anterior segment ischemia, so things like corneal edema, cataracts, etc., cell flare inflammation. I don't know what that is, but that doesn't sound good. It's not good. It's so, not good. <laughs> so what do we do then nowadays? Yeah. So right now, the kind of gold standard is based on the early treatment of retinopathy prematurity study, which we'll call ETROP. So, you know, at the time they designed it, they knew that cryo-ROP worked with threshold disease. So the goal was to see, can you treat earlier than threshold? So can we, that's what ETROP, early treatment, can you treat pre-threshold? So there, there's a, you know, the, we're not going to go into methodology of it. They did some kind of retrospective analysis uh, or ad hoc analysis of cryo-ROP and then also pulled in other patients. But what they've essentially found is you can treat when they have what they call type 1 disease, which is basically pre-threshold to the threshold disease just described. And you'll see that it's basically you take the threshold disease and dial it one step back. So while in threshold disease, you basically needed stage three and plus disease in zone one and two, sorry, zone one or two. If you have just plus disease in zone one, then you can be treated or just stage three in zone one, then you should be treated with laser. Also in zone two, if you have stage, you know, if you have stage three with plus, you can be treated just like threshold disease. But also if you have stage two in zone two with plus disease, you need to be treated. So basically, you can dial back one requirement in each of the zones. So to review, in zone one, you instead of needing both plus and stage three, you only need one of plus or stage three. And in zone two, it can either be stage three or stage two. So you can dial it back. You don't need just stage three. Stage two is worthy of treatment as well, as long as you have plus disease. And treatment here is not cryo, it's laser? Right. They um, 
decided that lasering the ischemic retina, similar to what we do in diabetics in adults, um, is lasering that ischemic retina was effective and had a, several advantages over cryotherapy. One, it had a lower failure rate, so 9.6% failure rate only. And it doesn't re require general anesthesia. Some people will still do it or do IV sedation, but in theory, you only need topical sedation for the child to do it. And it had lower ocular complications compared to cryotherapy. So you're telling me that basically we should initiate treatment a little bit earlier in the disease process exactly. according to this trial. Exactly. So when do we just watch them? Right. So they defined a stage two, which is kind of almost like a pre-pre-threshold of therapy. So in these patients, you don't have to treat, but basically if they have stage one or two in zone one without plus. So, you know, we said if they have plus or stage three, then you need to treat them. So they stage one or two in zone one, which is the worst zone because that's the closest, you know, that's involving the macula now, then um, you need to just watch them closely, something like every week. Or if they have stage three in zone two without plus, then you just have to watch closely that those were not worthy of treatment. So the main thing to memorize is type one, because that's when you actually have to treat them. And type two is almost like they don't quite have type one. So again, that's zone one or two without plus in zone one. Because remember, if you had plus, you need to be treated. Or if you had more than zone two, you need to be treated. Or having stage three without plus in zone two, then you can just watch that. And that's type two of, um, of ROP. So basically, it sounds like this trial essentially made it so that we are able to define what lesions we get worried about in ROP. Has, have there been any other studies? Yeah. So, you know, if you, if you kind of zoom out and think about how we treat other retinal vascular diseases, and mainly diabetic retinopathy, you'll know that we don't only use laser to treat diabetic retinopathy. You know, we don't only do PRP yeah, and retinal photocoagulation. You also apparently inject things into the eyeball. Yes. Which sounds horrendous. Yeah, we do it like all the time, actually. You should, you should know about it. You, you want to come watch one sometime? No. In okay. So you, so, you know, just like in diabetic retinopathy, we often use anti-vascular endothelial growth factors injected into the eye, like bevacizumab, to, um, to, to treat retinal vascular disease like diabetic retinopathy. The idea behind the BEAT ROP study, lovely title, is whether or not you can use bevacizumab in um, retinopathy prematurity as well. So basically, it was a comparison study of 150 eyes where they were randomized to either laser like in the ATROP study or Vastin for patients only for patients with zone one or two with stage three and plus. So basically threshold disease. What they found was that bevacizumab may actually be better than laser in zone one, but it was not superior in zone two. It didn't show superior in zone two. So the, the suggestion of the study was if they have zone one, you could trial one injection of bevacizumab instead of laser for this, um, you know, for retinopathy prematurity. Now, there's some controversy still over that study, and there are many studies that have been published since then or are currently underway looking into the use of antivascular endothelial growth factor in infants and neonates because of how potentially dangerous it could be. Uh, Ryan's retina in particular points out a few questions or possible downsides of the study. 
One is that there's a lack of long-term studies about the systemic safety of bevacizumab. You know, the thought is that it's confined within the eye. That's what some studies show, but that there's a lack of long-term studies in neonates to prove it. And as babies are obviously still developing, it's possible that shutting down the factor for vascular growth may be... Um, you, you know, there has to be a lot of investigation to whether or not that's safe or, or otherwise. They also point out it's dangerous to assume you only need one injection of bevacizumab. And Ryan's retina questions whether or not injecting bevacizumab would allow for full retinal vascularization, um, given that you're putting an anti-vascular, anti-VEGF agent in the eye. So those are the possible disadvantages, but it's something that, you know, I know some centers are, are starting to do more actively, but for the purposes of the boards, laser therapy is still the gold standard for ROP, but you can consider bevacizumab in patients with threshold disease in zone one. That's it. Okay, Ben. So I think, I mean, this is a really good explanation, both for screening and treatment of ROP. So let's see if I can teach back what you have just taught me because this basically makes me an expert on ROP, right? Wait a second. (laughs) So first of all, in terms of screening for ROP, we are going to initiate screening when infants are born either under 1,500 grams or 30 weeks or if they've had some kind of unstable NICU course. And you should screen them first um, when they are 31 to 33 weeks of age or four to six weeks after birth, whichever comes first. Okay. Good so far. Okay. In terms of treatment, you covered three trials that talked about different types of treatment and when to treat for ROP. So the first was this cryo ROP that came first, and this trial really defined threshold disease to treat. So that's when you have stage three ROP in zone one or two, or you have five contiguous. With, with five. With. Oh, with and, yeah. So this is defined as having stage 3 ROP in zone 1 or 2, and you have 5 contiguous or 8 discontiguous clock hours with plus disease. They treated these babies with cryotherapy to reduce rates of retinal folds or retinal detachments, but this sounds like this isn't really done anymore because to do cryo, you need to put these babies to sleep with general anesthesia, which can be dangerous. Um, and it seems like it also increased the risk of retinal detachment in adults um, and can also lead to something called anterior segment ischemia, which I still don't understand what that is, but sounds You should like listen that. to our episode on anterior segment ischemia. <laughs> you really should. Um, so the next trial is ETROP, which looked to see if you could treat these pre-threshold lesions and whether or not that was worth it. And so they found that in type 1, where they had zone 1 with plus disease or stage 3, or zone 2 with plus disease or stage 2 or 3 disease, you could actually laser these people. And that actually led to better outcomes um, when you're treating these people instead of just waiting until that threshold disease. And they also talked about uh, type 2, which is basically where you said you could watch them really closely. And this is where you had stage 1 or 2 disease in zone 1 without plus or stage 3 in zone 2 without plus. And this is kind of the standard of care now, it sounds like, which is what people do. That's what we do. Um, And then last of all, you talked about this BEAT ROP, where they essentially looked at Avastin or Bevacizumab versus laser for zone one or two um, stage three uh, disease with plus disease. We don't don't say Avastin on this show because no free pub. That's a trade name. No free pub. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. And they found that Bevacizumab would be 
better for zone one, but was not necessarily better for zone two. And that's what we have. So am I now an expert in ROP? Can I come to ROP rounds? You can come. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we have for this week. I mean, it's like, where's the NICU for you in relation to like where you actually work? Of one floor down? Oh, yeah, yeah. You should definitely come over sometime. This, if anyone in the audience is curious, we're not at the same program. So I can't actually... If anyone is listening from the Brown Ophthalmology Residency Program and wants to invite Faye to their NICU to do their ROP rounds, that'd be great. Will you let me do your injections and laser? If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Eyes4Ears with the number four. And if you want to follow us, uh, if you'd like to start, if you'd like to support the podcast, then a like review on iTunes wherever you listen to um, our podcast is very helpful to help us keep things going. I'd like to thank again Faye Kai, my beautiful fiance who now knows something about eyeballs for coming on the show. If you liked listening to her and you'd like to listen to her actually um, talk about something within her area of expertise, check out Kriogs Over Coffee at kriogsovercoffee.com or just search that in your podcast app. Then, then you can check out many episodes to date, 92 episodes. 73 episodes. 73 episodes she has released on all things obstetric and gynecologic. Otherwise, we'll see you next week where Andrew will be back and we'll talk about anterior segment stuff, including eye syndrome. Until we see you then, thanks for your time. Bye. Bye.